words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The fact that he was stark raving bonkers only made his brand of terror all the more ghastly. The Emperor Nero, the Antichrist, the epitome of evil, Nero, who killed his closest followers and who murdered his mother and his half-brother, had only one aim in respect of the infant Christian church. To crush it out of existence. To cleanse his empire of any last trace of the name of Christ. To destroy the faith and exterminate the faithful. Caligula before him had tried and failed, but he, Nero, the emperor god and certifiable fruitcake, would not fail. Absolute power meets a mind descending into madness, the nightmare scenario for the church. And this is the air that the Christians in Rome had to breathe, the foul, polluted oxygen of hate and violence irrational prejudice. Enveloped by dark threat, the future was heavy with potential awfulness. Nero the beast, prowling around Rome, hungry for victims, scenting blood, eager for the kill, bent on destruction. You get the picture. So to be an open Christian in Nero's Rome of 58 AD, was a high-profile, high-risk stance to take, dangerous and potentially deadly. The church that Paul addresses his letter to the Romans was walking the edges, facing death, desperately anxious as to what the future, if they were going to have any future at all, was going to hold for them. If his letter was to mean anything to them, bring any message of hope to them, it had to deal with the terrible tensions of the present and all the uncertainties of the future and offer hope for that. And who better than Paul to address those issues? In answer to the crucial question, so who is this who's writing all these fine words of encouragement to the embattled church? Does this person who writes to us have any integrity that we should listen to this note of hope they sound? Should we pay any attention to their words of comfort? To that question the answer comes, remember this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who writes. This is not some professor pontificating proudly from his academic eerie. This is not some effete bishop sipping sherry on the lawn of his palace. This is Paul, who still has the wheels on his back from the 39 lashes he endured. This is Paul, who suffered the chains of imprisonment, the terror of the mob, who was nearly killed in a fatal, near-fatal stoning. This is Paul who clung to the wreckage of a shipwreck off the coast of Malta as he risked tempest and raging seas to carry the gospel to the world. 
This is Paul who's writing, who was abandoned by his companions and left to rot in a dank, dark cell. This is an expert in suffering. A graduate cum laude at the University of Pain and Persecution. So he has earned the right, through his wounds and his indomitable courage, to speak. He demands to be listened to when he talks about having confidence in God for the future. Not some sleek ecclesiastical bureaucrat mouthing meaningless platitudes to chivvy up the troops, but a man of God who's been to the wire and been strung out on the wire for the sake of the gospel, who knows what it means to be willing to die for the faith. Paul's words have been tested in the fire and they are pure gold of truth. And when a giant of the faith who has spent his all for the gospel tells us some truth that he has learned there in the bubbling cauldron of suffering, we listen. If faith and endurance and hope in God has worked for him, in all of that, it might just work for us. And that experience of the light of hope being found in even the deepest gloom of persecution and suffering was to prove the enduring experience of the church throughout the centuries, across the world. As one after the other, they lined up to crush the church out of existence, to smash it to bits. Lupe dictator after vile despot sought to destroy the church of Jesus Christ and exhausted themselves in the process. So much so that it became a proverbial saying, the church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. Remember that. The church is an anvil that has worn out many a hammer. The Muslim invaders tried it. The French revolutionists tried it. Napoleon tried it. The communists tried it. The fascists tried it. In our own times, the tiny flower of the church in China was crushed. Yet now a thousand churches bloom. Christmas was banned in Cuba. Yet when the Pope went there to celebrate Mass, tens of thousands came out. Devout believers. In communist Europe for decades, the fragile shoots of faith were ground into the concrete by the tanks and the personnel carriers. Yet a million and a half people celebrated Mass in Poland when the Pope visited there. Sure, the life of faith flickers, but the light shines on, and the darkness has not overcome it. Paul's message of hope in God, based on what he knows of the Lord and the, the logic of that love and power at work in our lives, it would just be empty, naive, pipe-dreaming, worthy only of our sneering dismissal. If the facts were not so compelling, if they did not indicate so vividly that faith in the kingdom of God is not misplaced, it's simply that men prefer darkness to light, and they seek to snuff out that light that reveals the shallowness 
and the sordidness of so much that secular men and women choose. If we ever thought that it would be easy to win the world for Christ, to speak the truth and live the life of love, then we haven't listened to Jesus nor visited his Calvary. When we go there, we see how the world treats truth and love and light. But faith sees Easter morning and believes in it against all the odds in the face of the negativity. History indicates that persecution and pressures are creative, fertile grounds for faith. In spite of the viciousness of a whole series of godless regimes, the Christian church prospered until Christendom became the name of the game. Church historians describe that miracle in these terms. The martyrs were bound, imprisoned, scourged, racked, burnt, rent, butchered, and they multiplied. Or the telling words of Ignatius of Antioch, fire and cross, battling with wild beasts, their clawing and tearing, the breaking of bones and the mangling of members, the grinding of my whole body, the wicked torments of the devil, let them assail me as long as I get to Jesus Christ. In the real terrifying world they inhabited in that bloody, awful first century of the church's life, it transpired that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Believing in God's victory, believing like Paul that nothing could separate them from the love of Christ was truly a matter of profoundest moments, not a theory, something they had to believe when the gates opened and the sun came into them from the dank prison and they walked out into the amphitheater, not a theory anymore. A matter of life and death. And all we have to fight against is apathy. All we have to survive is indifference. All that threatens the life of the church in Western Europe in our time is the half-heartedness. A grudging spirit. By and large, the only demand the gospel places on our life is to turn up. Not much cutting edge, not much risk, not much danger, no secret codes needed. No huddling in the catacombs for us. No terrifying knock at the door. And congregations be led off to die in the dust and sand. <laughs> Yet maybe that very apathy is as grave a danger to the life of the church as any deluded despot crazy for blood. For the apathy corrodes the life and the vigour of the church and creates an impression that then becomes a view which then transforms into a conviction Actually, none of it matters all that much. Not my belonging, not my involvement, not my being there. In a culture that is commitment shy, the idea of our faith being about deep and dedicated commitment seems disturbing. There is demand there, there is obligation, and it comes as a shock and a cold surprise to a culture that really is more about what I fancy doing. My choices, what, what are my options? Going with the mood, doing your own thing rather than doing the right thing. 
And that can create a sometimes flabby church with a very different feel to the brave martyr church of the early years. When the Bible stays shut, when worship is what we, we do, when we have nothing better to do, absolutely nothing better to do, when witnessing to our faith is something only oddball zealots do, when faith functions on a maintenance basis and we're living on the capital of our previous enthusiasm, then we need to give the whole business a shake-up and seek that urgency that once underpinned our faith lay at the core of the life of the early church for sure, inspiring their courage. As he faces the imminent prospect of his death at the hands of the Roman Empire, Paul is full of confidence in God, his utter conviction that nothing life can throw at him, nothing death can hold over him, nothing in heaven or on earth can separate him from the love of Christ. And that that assurance that Paul has is not some panic-stricken clutching at theological straws at the last minute, not whistling in the dark to chase away the bogeymen. Paul is not simply screwing himself up to the nth degree to, to make himself believe the impossible hope that somehow, in spite of this terrible reality all around him, it was all going to be okay. When Paul writes these things, it's not a triumph of naive hope over harsh, bitter experience. Rather, he demonstrates the quiet confidence and the calm peace of heart that comes from a man who walks with God and knows the nature of this God he serves. The power of that God as supreme and perfect. The love of that God as eternal and unshakable. And the purposes of that God that will be And miracle of miracles, ours is the same God, with the same power, and the same love, and the same purposes. Which means ours can be the same hope, based on the same secure foundation. We believe, as Paul did, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And when we know that, and feel that then the future is different because the future is his and we are his. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.